0: Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Look, if I said to you that in the the, the next 20 minutes, there there should be every reason why you walk out of this place whistling while you work. And I believe that uh, that that is the promise ahead of each and every one of us. and, And that's what should happen if you receive what God is going to say to us through this word this morning. And the way that I could illustrate it is to use an illustration that I've used many times. And I will use it again because as a a side note, uh, they say that uh, you only remember something. If you don't write something down, you have to hear it eight times before you actually remember it. And from up here, this perspective, there only ever looks like about three people taking notes on a Sunday, which means I get to use the same stories eight times through, uh, (laughs) at least through my ministry career, right? And it's even great that we've adopted Taramara because they haven't heard my stories. So (laughs) it's really, but look, remember this story, two people, they're told they're going to make widgets. This person goes into a dark, dingy room, flickering fluoro light. You're going to make widgets 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the next 10 years in this room. Then another person, you're going to do exactly the same. You're going to make widgets. You're going to be in a weird dark room with a funky flickering light and you're going to make widgets 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the next 10 years. But at the end of that 10 years, we're going to pay you $10 million. Question class Who whistles while they work? (laughs) Another question Has the job changed? And how many of you thought, if I could just change my job, or I just get that promotion, or I just shift this circumstance, if I just get out of this thing that I'm doing, then I will be finally happy with my work? Who's been guilty of saying that once or twice? Is it really about the job, or is it about your perspective on the job? Because perspectives everything that's what we've been learning that uh, your perspective on work will determine whether or not you whistle why you work regardless of the job that you have regardless of whether you're employed unemployed uh, whether or whether or not you're a stay-at-home mom stay-at-home dad whether or not you're in between jobs because we've learned that your job is not your work as we've heard so wonderfully from David right So that's the perspective on work that should make us all whistle. You have been given a call by God, vocare, vocation, calling, to flourish the world around you. That is the shift in perspective with your work. But one of the challenges too is that we don't see that perspective clearly enough. And there are ways that you can see a perspective and it's fine, but you don't see it clearly. Here's an example. Does anyone know what this picture up here represents? Why does that picture look so fuzzy? Anyone know? It's 3D. It doesn't look 3D. I found this out the hard way once. Once I went to an Avengers movie, uh, a 3D session. I didn't know it was a 3D session. I didn't have the glasses. And so, me being the cheapskate that I am, thought, well, I'm not going to give up on a movie now. I might as well watch it. And so I watched a whole Avengers movie in 3D without the 3D glasses. Which was awesome. I still got the plot line and the story and it sounded fantastic. Only one problem. I had the world's worst headache <laughs> by the end of the movie when it was finished. And I, uh, part of my promise to you today is that I, I, think, I think many of you are working in jobs where uh, you are seeing good things happening and you are doing a whole range of good things and you understand the work and you're doing the work, but it's given you an almighty headache. Could it be that you haven't been given... A new lens seen on that perspective, uh, could it be that you haven't been given, I guess like the red and green glasses as it were, to see the work around you more clearly, with more depth, more richness. And so that's the question we're going to ask today. How does the gospel, the lens through which we view the world, the message of Jesus Christ, the red and green glasses, actually take that perspective on work and further clarify it in such a way that our work now becomes 3D? Richer, deeper, more wonderful, more joyful. We're going to have a look at that this morning. But before we do that, I want to give you a case study around what is happening with perspectives on work at the moment. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard this little-known story out in the media at the moment, but there's an Australian rugby player. There's an Australian rugby player who's been sacked because he posted a Bible verse, not his words, a Bible verse on Instagram. And before we go there, I'm just going to frame this up safely. Uh, I'm not going to go into what's Northside's position on everything. I will say to you that it's probably not the verse of the Bible that I would use to evangelize the world around me, Okay, to each their own in their methods and all of that. But what I want to draw our attention to is that I think something that's come out of this situation with Israel Folau and his sacking by Australian rugby, is that there's a fundamental underlying narrative. I don't want to talk about religious freedoms and all the stuff that you can hear with Alan Jones on the radio, but I I want to suggest to you that there's an underlying narrative. Look for it, listen for it in all of this. There's an underlying narrative with this whole Falau case, and the narrative goes a bit like this. The narrative says you can't bring your faith to work. Could I suggest that's what's happening? That, look, Israel's a good rugby player and keep your rugby to rugby and keep your faith to your own and keep your faith private and don't post it on your Instagram or we'll write it into your contract. But, but when you play rugby, you work, work and don't bring your faith to work. And then we, then we can I suggest to you that, that this is a very modern concept Because in the ancient ancient world, uh, Paul understood what he was speaking into. Uh, in In the ancient world, things were much closer. And we see in this passage in Acts, verse 22, that Paul stands up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. And here's what we need to grasp this morning. Whether you are a Christian or not, wherever you sit, in, in that spectrum, everybody is bringing their faith to work. <laughs> Everyone's bringing their faith to work because faith is not religion. Faith is the underlying narrative, the underlying story, the underlying way that you answer the big questions of life. Where have we come from? What's wrong with the world? How can we fix it? What's going to be the solution? That's what faith is. And so faith connects your life, like a set of 3D glasses, to a bigger story. And it clarifies. Faith is the lens through which you view the story of life. And why this is so vital, let me give you another illustration. Alistair McIntyre, a philosopher, said, imagine this. Imagine that you're at a bus stop and someone runs up to you and they say to you, the name of the wild duck is Histronicus, Histronicus, Histronicus. How do, we re- how do we respond? Now, okay. What if I filled in the story like this? What if, what if we said that, you know, what if the person is mentally ill? Maybe they're just mentally ill. Uh, or, or maybe, maybe that person was someone that you met in the library yesterday and down aisle three. You said to them, "What is the Latin word for duck again?" <laughs> and they just remembered. <laughs> Or maybe maybe they're an assassin. And if you get your response wrong to the code word, they'll kill you there on the spot. (laughs) Now, can you see how this works? Without a bigger story and context, how can you not only know the meaning of what is being said, but most importantly, how can you give the right response? Question then... What is the greatest story of life? What is life's greatest story? And how do we know? How do we know how to respond? How do we know the way in which to live is right? If our life story is just about self-actualization and trampling everyone else, is, is that what it's about? If our life, we look like suckers because we serve people and we make sandwiches for 200 people at Lifeline and we use our time instead of ourselves, but to bless others, is, is, is that is that what it's about? Can, can you see how important a broader story is, broader context is to the way in which we respond? And if we don't get that story right, then we get life right or wrong. And by the way, this was the question that Paul was asking. By the way, this was the lens through which Paul was seeing the world around him in Acts chapter 17. It says here, verse 16... While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Now, a couple of quick points. Look at, look at the way that Paul looks at the city. We're going to come back to that in a second. But take note of where Paul is physically Where is he? He's in the marketplace. Let me translate that for you. Paul went to where they worked. And I think the genius about Paul and the way that he was evangelizing here is that Paul understood this. It's true back then a couple of thousand years ago, and it's true today, that our work becomes the place where we live out most of the drama associated with our big stories. And don't some of you know that this week? (laughs) Right? We're constantly living out these stories, and that's what we've been getting at, that the way that you view a bigger story about your life not only determines the strategy and the direction of your life, but most importantly, it determines all of the ethics by which you live, how you make the day-to-day decision. So your story affects the big picture and the little picture. And part of the reason that we see this time and time again, this playing out of all these different things that happen in our workplace. Let me give you some examples. You know, what about that narcissistic boss or manager? or friend like is, is it just is it just a personality disorder <laughs> or or could it be possible that, that their fundamental story is that there is no god and that when we die we rot and little flowers grow out of us and so therefore, uh, if there is no life after death and if there is no resurrection of the dead, then this life is all there is. So we better make sure that we just live for our own happiness and we've only got 80 years to cram all of that uh, happiness in if we're lucky and so therefore we trample over everyone else in the process because I'm all that matters. And by the way, like no, no one else is hold, holding me account to all of this. You see how it works? It, it is it is it just personality, or or could it could they be living out the drama of the story to which they live? Look, take the other end of the spectrum. What is it? How do you explain those people who have the brains and the smarts and the privilege to be in high paying careers, and yet they uh, they, they choose self sacrificing types of professions like social work and nursing or aged care? You know, are, are they are they suckers? <laughs> you know, like a Are they silly for doing all of that? Or is there something that drives them to go, there's more than just living for a dollar? You see how it works? And so here's here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. Here's the way I describe it. Try this on. Work now becomes the stage on which we enact the plot lines of the soul. Our work now becomes a stage in which we enact the plot lines of the soul. All of these behaviours start flowing from us and the people around us because everyone has faith in someone or something. That's what Paul was getting at. You've got faith. Why are you sitting on those chairs? You've got faith. You've got faith that chair's going to hold you up for the next 15 minutes. (laughs) We've all got faith. Everyone's got faith in someone or something. Um... A great theologian, Paul Tillich, he defines faith as your ultimate concern. What is that one thing, that one thing that drives you, that shapes you, that determines your story from which your actions flow? He calls it the ultimate concern. And in the corporate sense, let me use that language, what he's really saying is everyone has a bottom line. (laughs) You heard that term in corporate? What's the the bottom line? Everyone has a a bottom line and that's, that's what... Paul was getting at when he was looking at others around them. He remarks there that he can see that you're worshipping gods that you don't even know about, that you're ignorant about, that you can't see. There is a bottom line here. What's going on? It's enacted narrative. It's the biggest story. And so all I want to get us to do is to see the way in which The world around us is operating, but to see it in the way that Paul was seeing it. Paul didn't see workplaces and spaces and buildings. He saw intertwined human relationship that were worshipping things other than God as the basis of their identity. Now question, couldn't we insert that definition into Paul saw the city of Sydney and he saw that it was full of idols? this making sense? whole new way that you could see the world around you, whether you're in the CBD tomorrow, whether you're in a friendship group, whether, whether you're in a mum's group, whether you're in a dad's group, whether you're in a bridge group, whatever it might be, uh, this dynamic, people are just watch, people are constantly living out the plot line of their souls around us and that's, that's what we Need to do. I just want to give us a different perspective, a new set of glasses. So, uh, I'm going to give you a red, a red lens and a green lens. Does does that make sense? Two different lenses to look at. Red lens and a green lens. Let's talk about the red lens. First lens is uh, this week as you move into these places and spaces that God has placed you into flourish. First question you ask is, what is my industry or what is my group's bottom line? Right? What is my industry or my group's bottom? line verse 22 then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said people of Athens I see that in every way you're very religious for as I walked and looked carefully at your objects of worship so see how Paul goes into his workspace and workplace he goes what are what are their objects of worship you can go into your workplaces and say what are what are the things around them here that they seem to worship is it the promotion is it the status? Is it the identity that they're getting from their work? Is, is, it, is it the company ethos? Is it the company themselves to work for a particular company can be an object of worship? See how it works? So you, you go into these spaces and you just ask yourself cheekily, what, what are their objects of worship? What are their hopes? What are their dreams? What are their ambitions? What, are they, what is driving them in all of this? Let me give you some examples if, if you need a little bit of help for your homework, okay? if you're in the advertising industry, in, in what ways does my industry propagate the idols of beauty and sex? If you're, if you're in the public service, in what ways might the culture around me actually promote the idol of underwork? I don't want to sound stereotypical in that, but I know enough people who are public servants that feel this cultural dynamic, so it is what it is. And remember, if you're a public servant, we said last week, whatever you do, do it all as if you're working for God. You start to see that your story shifts you differently from the culture you're working in. Okay, if you're a lawyer or if you're an accountant or you're in finance, in what ways are the idols of my industry driving overwork? Oh, how many lawyers can I tell you that are in this church that feel the dynamic when they get in tomorrow to bill, 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 bill? build your work, build your work, build a client, build your work, build your work, build a client. That's what I learned as an accounting cadet. You know, the two scariest words in any uh, of a law or accounting industry, utilisation rate. Yeah, just (laughs) have a coffee with an accountant or lawyer after church and ask them what that does to them. Might trigger them, don't know, but... (laughs) Hey, if you're a student, in what way does your school hold up the UAI or the ATAR? What's it called these days? ATAR, thank you. In what ways does school hold up the I- ATAR as the idol of your significance as a young student? See how this works? Okay, so you're going to have to do that for your industry when you go home, your group, your people. Side note, um, no, I've got to say this one. I remember talking to one of the mums here at Northside who enrolled her school up in one of the schools that will remain nameless uh, up on Mona Vale Road there near St Ives somewhere. And... Um, <laughs> She said in kindergarten... She, the conversation looks like this. The, uh, all the parents get together and all, all the mums are saying, so, you know, if, if, if you have if got Johnny into tutoring, if you got him into tutoring, because Blake's in tutoring, he's doing tutoring, Blake's doing tutoring, because if we get Blake into tutoring, then we can get him into the accelerated class. And if we can get him into the accelerated class, maybe we can get him into a selective high school or another accelerated class. And then um, he's probably going to do law or medicine, I'm not sure, but Harvard is probably going to be the preferred university for him to go to. You laugh. This was a this was a real this was a real conversation. It's an it's an idol of the group. You know, if you want to look at the way that parents can act and use their children as a basis of their identity instead of God, right? That's what we talked about last week. What's the bottom line? What's the bottom line of the group in that? And I'd suggest to you the bottom line of that is: if my kids do well, I do well. For homework, here's the other, green lens, that's red lens, green lens, simple as this, what is your bottom line? What is your bottom line really? And I, I learned I this the hard way this week. I feel like more comfortable sharing with you guys than the crew at Taramara because we've just known each other longer. longer. Um, but I've been wrestling through this stuff as well. And uh, there was a there was an issue that I had this week, a church-related issue. And I think God preaches to me in this stuff as, he, as much as He does to you. And there was a church-related issue, and I, I was up sermon prepping with stuff. And I, I called Kristen and I said, "This is just bugging me. I actually didn't sleep well the night before, did I? I just I was up most of the night thinking through stuff, and um, it was just it was bugging me. And we were talking it." We're talking it through and in the middle of the conversation, as only a wife can do, either prompt you about Michelle Obama or <laughs> or in Kristen's case, she said, you know what, what I'm hearing about this is, I, I think you've staked too much on this. I think this is actually this over-anxiety, which, side note, is, is always the greatest window into whether or not you're dealing with an idol. If you are overly emotional about something, you can't sleep about it. But she just said simply, "I think this is more about you than it is the church," and it, that hurt. I said, "I said last week, and it's not funny that God uses my own sermon on myself." But I said, "Idols, idols are horrible things because they kick you when you're down. Like seriously, like I'm already anxious enough, and I've lost sleep over the thing, and then it has to be revealed to me that what I'm dealing with is not of God, but it's an idol. That hurts, right?" And so what I learned in that moment is that the bottom line in this situation was not the gospel, it was not Jesus, it was me. And it was pride. That ugly pet dog that I told you about if ever you needed a guard dog. It was pride. And so you have to apply the gospel to your hearts in that moment and that's what I did. That's what I summarised for you because I say every week, this is what you pay me to do, summarise the Bible for you. And if you go and look, if you ever want to know what the gospel message is, go to Acts 17. If you don't know what the message of Jesus is, go to Acts 17. And Paul gives us the gospel to apply to our lives. God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live by temples built by hands. Uh, In summary, what that means is there is a God and you're not it. As if he needs anything. What a great line to start with Christianity. What that means is that's the antidote for religion. Don't think your prayers, your turning up to church, all the good things that you do are going to impress God. He doesn't need anything. Christianity is the only religion where you've got to work out what you're going to do when you realize you do not need to do anything at all. Because he doesn't need it. Rather, he himself gives life to all of us. Why? Because he hopes that in so doing, you might want to reach out to him. And then if you even don't feel you've got the strength to search for God, you want to know what the good news is? He's searching for you, says Paul. Because he's not far from any one of us. And then it goes on to say, Therefore, since we're God's kids, we shouldn't think that the divine being is like gold or silver. So what it means is stop trying to make gods out of everything else. You can't make God. He's the maker. And for he set a day when he'll judge the world with justice by the man he appointed, brackets Jesus. <laughs> and what that means for you this week, if you're dealing with that narcissistic friend or boss or the the co-worker that's hurting you or the person that's cheated you or beha- betrayed you, there's a day coming. What that means is there's there's the, th- the what do they call it? Third umpire. <laughs> there's there's the video ref- there's a video referee in life. That's the narrative by which we it's gone, it'll go to j- judiciary. They're on report. And he's given proof of every one of this by raising him from the dead. There is life after death, which means, as Christians, we can live in the hope of that, even though things aren't going our way. So, question class: What's your bottom line? Did you live? Your, think about it for thirty seconds. Think about your thoughts, your actions, your words, your emotions. Replay themselves to you now, as if you're watching your life from the last week on replay on video. The question for you this morning is, did, did I live my life out of that bottom line? Is there fear? Is there anxiety? Is there a lack of courage? Is there worry? I'll answer on my behalf, yes. And so can you see that the gospel message, the story that we draw ourselves into, is never just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's not what we learn in Sunday school and then come up here and learn the big kid stuff. The gospel's everything, and we draw ourselves up into that. And we have to recognize that if these idols and these objects of worship and all these things within our industry are all around us in our work, then could it be that there are moments where we as Christians don't live out of that story that we've been given? And so the wrestle for us this morning is, and this is what I want to suggest to you, some of you might be afraid of bringing your faith to work this week. Whatever work means for you by definition. But here's the bottom line. If everyone else is bringing their faith to work, why don't you just bring it? <laughs> right? Just bring it. <laughs> just bring it anyway. Just everyone else is bringing their faith to work. So you, you live out of those paradigms. You live your enacted narrative out and the guarantee is that the world around us will look a little bit lighter and brighter All of life is an acted narrative. And how do you know that you're living by the right story? You draw it up into the gospel. It's why we love all these other stories. It's why you guys, and I'm not allowed to retell another story, right? So I'll just list them off. It's why you know my stories now. It's the gospel according to the never-ending story. It's the gospel according to the last starfighter. It's the gospel according to Back to the Future. Why do we love these sorts of stories? Because they're stories about problems that invade our lives and the way that through some outside power, whether it be Bastion or Atreyu or Michael J. Fox, that they somehow overcome the challenges that are before them and they move into some form of greater being. We, we love these great stories because those great stories point to the ultimate story. That somehow in the gospel, God has kicked a hole in the side of the universe and the unreal has become real in the person of Jesus Christ. And he left his mark on history, and, and, and that truth continues to be handed down generation after generation after generation until that day that he will return and prove everything right. That's the story from which we live. And that is the story that, that if you're not yet a Christian, can I suggest to you, could I offer you to stop living your life with an almighty headache, right, right? You can live life the way that we looked at that 3D picture without the glasses. And there are good people and there are great people and there are wonderful things being done by non-Christians around the world and we are so grateful for them in all of that. But to become a Christian is to adopt a view and a perspective and the lens through which you view the world that makes life richer and deeper and more beautiful and more real because that is the life for which you are designed. Now, friends, if you can't take that in your heads and with the power of the Holy Spirit in the next three minutes, take that into your hearts and move out of this place with a sense of joy and excitement and courage and boldness. That's on you, not me. So let's pray. Father, help us with this deep wrestle that we have. And Lord, I never want to diminish the realities that many of us face as we move into our week this week. But as we have seen and heard this morning, Lord, that on one hand, as it was true for Paul, people hear your word, there is a deep mystery where some get it and some don't. Uh, Father, we want to be a people that get it. And Father, in these moments, I can only ever fully feel the weight and the burden of my own helplessness father in acting anything real or, or different or dynamic in our lives together And that can only come from you and so in this moment father i would pray desperately that you would do our work you would do your work in our work that there would be people here who needed a sense of hope and perspective that there would be people here who needed to be lifted and shifted heavenly father by the realities of what we've heard today. And I would pray that you would speak to them, Father. Even if it be outside of work and all the stuff that we've been talking through, just for a sense of your presence and your peace in our lives in this moment, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.